Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, we talk to a very special person to me, Katherine Fisk, as she shares transforming a lifetime of depression. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Okay, I pushed the button. <laughs> we're, we're live. We're it's live. Happening. Three, two, one, live. Awesome. So first of all, thank you for being here and being willing to do this. And who you are is Catherine Fisk. And you've got a pretty, you've multifaceted different angles to have this conversation, right? Like here we are, the healing project where the general premise, my big philosophy, whatever we want to call this is that healing, heal to heal is a four letter word in our medical community right now. Yeah. And that it's not talked about enough. It's not discussed enough. It's not presented as part of the treatment plan. And that I really am excited to get to talk to you about what your healing journey has been like. And also you've been partner to people going through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that some of which ended their life and some of them we didn't know. And then they came through it. So I'm really going to give you free reign to talk about whatever resonates, you know, in the, the, in your experience through your life journey of what is healing, what does healing mean to you? And what have you seen for yourself and others, you know, and, and mostly I'll pipe in with a question here too when we need to, but yeah. So, um, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. And I'm really, I feel really honored that you invited me to participate in this mm-hmm. a lot, you know, and, and so spontaneously it turns out. Right. But yeah, it's exactly. Awesome. It's Good. Really awesome. So and, where would you like to start? Well, I want to start, I just want to reference for just a second something you just said about healing is a four letter word in our yeah. m- typical, what we understand as our cultural medical community and healing gets equated with fix and stop symptoms Mm. or Mm. alleviate symptoms or reduce symptoms but not with many doctors I don't get that conversation of healing like truly transforming what your body's currently doing yeah and I see healing as a transformation Mm -hmm. so so that's kind of the place I want to speak from is, is healing as a transformative journey because that's what it's been for me. Yeah. And I have stuff I'm still working on and I have stuff I've totally transformed. And I'm, and I'm going to focus on, you know, if for purposes of the healing journey, I really want to talk about something that I've transformed in a way in my life that I was told was untransformable. Yeah. And, um, and that's a lifetime of dealing a lifetime until it was no longer part of my lifetime. And it's important to say that, um, from the time I was very young, uh, and, and, and confirmed, if you want to say that from the time I was 14 of, of having depression and anxiety disorders and panic attacks. Yeah. And it ran my life. I mean, I had long stretches in the earlier parts of my life where it actually, I had breaks from it, had big breaks. Um, and then it would, from my perspective, arise 
like a big surprise, like, like a storm that blew in, not yeah. one that had been building, but you know, like, like a gale storm on a, on the ocean. And, and all of a sudden there would be this storm going on in me. And my description when people would ask me is like, I always had a gray cloud over my head mm. that no matter what happened, no matter where I went, no matter what I did, even if it was sort of joyful, it was still a gray cloud hanging out over my head that I could not get out from under. Yeah. And sometimes it was a thunder cloud and sometimes it was more like a fog. Mm-hmm. And for those of your listeners out there that are, that deal with this kinds of thing. Yeah. They really know, you know, it's like, you just feel like you can never get away from it. And I used you on purpose in this case, because that's the occurring for people out there. And for many years, I would not do therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I sure as hell would not take medications. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't want it on my medical record mm. for fear that it would, that I could never get free of it. Yeah. And um, so, so the, the, the life of depression and anxiety was even if I weren't in depression and anxiety in the moment, I was always afraid it was going to raise its head. Mm-hmm. which causes its own kind of anxiety and <laughs> right, ironically, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah Living like, in it, even when the symptoms weren't present, now there was a different set of circumstances that still kept it present. And then it could trigger it. Yeah. The fear of it would trigger yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not going to go, go into all the whole psychological journey because I did do therapy. Ultimately, I found a, an incredible therapist mm-hmm. after a while who was, uh, shared my fundamental view of the universe. Yeah. She did transformational psychology and, and it was something that she journeyed with herself. Yep. So even if we came up to a place where she'd say, Catherine, I, I've never had that experience. So I'm not sure how to be with you on that. She would go off and do her own work for two weeks. So that by the t- next time I came back, Mm. by the next time I came back, she'd say, ah, I get it. I was willing to go there. And I will say this to people out there. Your therapist can't go anywhere with you that they're not willing to go themselves. Yeah. And that's that's not just therapy. I I mean, that's part of what I'm out to transform in the medical community is that one of the integral pieces that I see we can make a difference is with practitioners being able to, because of their schedules and their lifestyles, even nurses, you know, that are working three tens overnight and how that impacts their own health and well-being, And like, right. you know, all of the things that happen, like what would it be like if all of our nurses and our doctors and our healthcare practitioners were actually all really healthy in their own lives yeah. and how would that alter I don't know. Right. But like, like that yeah. same thing of it, walking the different. path yourself for your own self and also with your patients. Yeah. 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 It's not different. No. So part of my healing journey was, was doing therapy. There's no question about that. It was mm-hmm. an important part of my personal inquiry into why does my body keep doing this thing? Right. Why does my, and I, you know, for a long time, I'd say my breath, my, my head, 
I now understand it has a whole lot to do with my body. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually. Yeah. And, and I ultimately became extremely clinically depressed mm. um, in a way that was not good for my family, certainly not good for me, but it was not good for my family. It wasn't good for my relationships. Um, and it, and it became destructive in many ways. I did ultimately decide not knowing any other options at the moment. I did decide to do medications. And how old were you or like how far along in your process was that? Oh my God. Um, well, I'd been dealing with depression since I was 14, but, but the, this phase of it had really, where it was chronic, yeah. had started in my mid-20s. Yeah. And I was – I might have already been in, well into my 50s. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I was well into my fifties before I actually agreed to take medication because I would just like, I go into therapy or whatever I did until I felt better and then I'd stop. Yeah. You know, and then I'd go into therapy until I felt better and then I'd stop, Mm. you know, and that went on for, for 20 years until my therapist finally said, if you don't agree to keep coming, even when you feel better, I'm not going to work with you anymore. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because that's when you can actually do the work. Is when you're grounded again. Uh huh. So yeah, we well, have the resiliency way. to actually dive yeah. into some of that other stuff. And it works that way with my health when I'm dealing with health issues. Like, yeah. you know, th- there's there's the acute phase where you know we got to deal with what's acute. But once the acute phase is over, that's when the healing happens. That's when the deep dive comes. And if we're not willing to do that, if I'm not willing to do that, nothing's going to change. Mm. can keep fixing the acute stuff. Mm. Nothing's going to change. And mm-hmm. I don't care whether that's your mental state, whether it's your physical state. I, 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 I don't care. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you can clean up the house, but if you don't change how you take care of things, it's always going to be a mess. Totally. It's not different. So what was the – I got where you, you took a big step to actually get on medications – yeah. But then on the other side of things, what would you say was the tipping point when it shifted towards like, I could be done with this or I'm going to heal this yeah. like all the way. That's, that's good. Um, well, the, the tipping point came several years. Once I got on medication and it took, I, w- I will say again, for people listening, it wasn't a magic bullet. It took two years to find the right combination of meds Mm -hmm. for me to quit having chronic panic attacks, for me to be able to sleep at night, for me to begin to feel more leveled out without the, just the roller coaster of emotions that I never knew when they were coming. Yeah. Once it had started to level out and then I was kind of on a, a plateau, let's say for another some number of years and a lot of deep emotional work was able to get done then Mm -hmm. I really began to think huh I don't I don't like how these medications make me feel they're effective they keep me from jumping off the deep end and being crazy Mm -hmm. and, and not being able to function in my life really being truly dysfunctional 
um, but they flatten. Mm. They, they flatten the emotions. They flatten a world awareness. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like there was an alternative. So I began to work with, um, with you. Yeah. Um, I think, didn't you work with Tanda first? first. I started with Tanda first. Um, And uh, who is also a naturopathic practitioner. (laughs) Um, My partner uh, in crime for the first first, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah's first business partner and went to school together and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Um, I started to work with Tanda and she actually suggested to me that there's something called the amino acid protocol. And, and you could reference this. Maybe I don't remember the name of the book or the author. Julia Ross mood care. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can buy it on Amazon and she's got her whole, you know, protocol in there. Yeah. Yeah. And so we began to work very intensively with that Mm -hmm. as a, as a way to, see what the possibility was to get off of medications. I was extremely fortunate to have a psychiatrist who managed my medications to support me. So that's really good that you said that because I kind of wanted to put a little caveat in here just in that world of like, you know, it can be dangerous for people, particularly on antidepressants, to start screwing around with their dosages or or coming off of meds too fast. Like there's there's some pretty serious ramifications yes, to not doing it are. with guidance with a trained certified licensed healthcare practitioner. Yep. And, and like for me as a naturopath, I actually never take anyone off of drugs. I build their health up to the point where the drugs start to become obsolete. And I say, let's go talk to your prescribing doctor and exactly. see what they say and work in that partnership with them. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you said that because it, it was, I had tried a couple of times in the early years of being on meds. Like I couldn't stand how they made me feel. And I, and I, and then I, it was awful. Yeah. And, and my doctor said, you can't do this. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. Um, but he, he did support me in what I wanted to do. And I was very fortunate because I, many, many, many people find themselves in a situation where their doctor or their practitioner will say, you'll never be able to get off the meds. Right. That was certainly yeah. what others of yeah. my healthcare team were saying at the mm-hmm. time is, you know, now that you're people on even them, heard like, you know, it's unsafe to ever come off. Right. Of them, you know? Right. And, and I want me to stop them cold Turkey. Yeah. And, and each, and there's probably people out there, depending on their circumstances, where it might be. That's right. that whole, you got to work with a practitioner yeah. around it, yeah. right? You know, this is yeah. my, my insert yeah. of the medical disclaimer well, it's for important. all of this, you know? And, yeah. and, and I didn't have a psychosis. No. You know, it, it, was, it was mental, emotional, and, and great imbalances yeah. in my body, my neurotin, well, and serotonin, that's, all that. But. That's what I was going to say, too. Like, I think I'll let you answer it as like have you discovered that, you know, it wasn't just all, all in your head, right? Like, right. was there, was there an experience where you started to get, wait a minute, this isn't, because for some people it's circumstantial and there's just life circumstances and then they move through those circumstances and that might really be the end of it. And they're be on the end of it, right. Utilizing medication. You know, I will say sometimes, you know, if you broke your leg, you would put a cast on for six weeks and you'd let it heal yeah. and then right. do what's next. And there are times in some, some of our lives where, 
going on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety for six months or a year Mm -hmm. to work through some really tough stuff in our life and create that stability, right? That's all that needs to be. And then there's also like, what was your experience of recognizing? Like, how did you know if it was your body or your mind or like, I think a lot of people wrestle with, is it all in my head? That's like always their concern. Or how did I know if it was just circumstantial, right? Right. Yeah. Certainly early on, that was part of what I hated about it. I thought it was all in my head that I was weak. I just couldn't make myself stop being depressed, you know, right. and, it, and, and that's a self-fulfilling negative prophecy in totally. and of itself. Yeah. But I really, for one thing I discovered early on is I absolutely cannot drink alcohol. Yeah. That was an exploration for me. Not that I drank a ton of alcohol, but mm-hmm. I was an average social drinker for the time of my life, you yeah. know, a, a drink or two a day. Um, um, and socially, maybe a couple of drinks. I was never a heavy drinker, yeah. but I did discover that a very small amount of alcohol left me depressed for three days. Yeah. That was my clue mm. that it could be food or drink or whatever related. I didn't explore that much in the early days other than when I was 25 or six years old, I like no kidding, quit drinking. Yeah. Cause that was intolerable how it left me feeling. Yeah. But it became the basis for an inquiry later on, especially once I started working with Tanda yep. of, so are there foods that trigger this? Are there uh, sleep issues that mm-hmm. trigger this? I was also as part of this whole the syndrome of symptoms that I had. I also had a sleep disorder for Mm. many, many, many years. There's no question that lack of sleep will make you crazier than a dingbat. Right. And (laughs) depressed. Yeah. And anxious. Yeah. Your body, just my body, one's body, cannot produce what it needs to be saying with lack of sleep. Yeah. So there began to be, be this body of evidence that I loved to ignore. (laughs) <laughs> but but the evidence was getting overwhelming <laughs> right yeah and and i was like oh well maybe if i cut back on whatever so i began to see especially the sleep thing that was yeah. once we, once i'd had some medication began to work with the sleep thing getting my sleep in order made a huge difference as to so how in the beginning, stable I could did you feel. use sleep medication to help support I did that. for a while. I okay. used Ambien for a while off yeah. and on for about two years, yeah. two or three years. I did not every night. Yeah. It was more um, an as needed, mm-hmm. you know, when I simply could not sleep for day, yeah. literally days on end. I would take Ambien for three or four days and just try to get my, my brain so cells go, rested. So you'd go days without sleep? Yes. Wow. Yeah, literally, I could. I, I it wasn't just kind of like, oh, I had a rough night last night. I was up no, a little bit. No, yeah, no, no. I actually, my the the practitioner I was working with at the time actually had me chart it, and I, sometimes in four days I would have had a total of ninety minutes of sleep. I mean, no wonder. Know, <laughs> not, I mean, not, not not too good for you. Not so much. And and. I knew that wasn't okay, but I really thought if I could just get four hours a night, I'd be fine. Right. Yeah. And because I, that's. That would have been a big upgrade. 
Yeah. Well, it would have at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I rarely slept more than five hours a night for years and yeah. years and years. So it's no wonder, literally what I began to understand is my brain was sick the mm-hmm. way, like l- the way your body gets sick. Right. And your body gets sick because you you let your immune system get low or because you're, I'm not eating right or whatever. I simply didn't make the association with my brain function mm. health yep. being just as affected yeah. by yeah. how I was taking care of my body. Totally. So good. Yeah. A big connection that Tanda had me work with before we did the amino acid protocol mm-hmm. was she called it sleep hygiene. I thought I'd slap her. I couldn't stand it that she used that sleep hygiene. Are you kidding me? What a yuck. Yuck. But you know, you know what you do when you brush your teeth and you know, a lot like that. A lot like that. Uh But I'll tell you, it made a huge difference. So we began to look for what were the organic imbalances? Yeah. Can you give and us some I, examples of what sleep hygiene was just so we can put it in reality? Okay, so, yeah, so yeah. sleep hygiene is go to bed more or less, and I will say more or less, because yeah. for those of us who don't like to sleep a lot, <laughs> just more or less will actually make an enormous difference. Yeah. Go to bed more or less at the same time every night. Yeah. So I have always been a night owl, but we made an agreement. I wouldn't stay up past one thirty at night, which was an upgrade right. for me to go to because bed I was also an early riser. Yeah. Especially well, you're only I sleeping had... 90 hour, 90 minutes a night, you know? That's... Yeah. Yeah. That was an unusual <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, that was not average. That was my a particular, was a, yeah. My average was around five hours a night. Okay. So I often went to bed at 1 30 and slept till 6 30 or I'd be in bed at midnight and yeah. sleep till 5 30. Uh, I rarely slept late in that part of my life. I mean, I didn't sleep late. Yeah. It's not even rarely like to yeah. sleep past seven o'clock would have been unheard of huh. okay. the first 60 years of my life. Yeah. I just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was normal, natural, you know, it's just, that's just what my body does. Yeah. Um, so but, your first thing was to go to bed at the same time, more or yeah, less every night. Yeah. And I didn't have to worry about getting up. The point was to try to stay in bed. At least the agreement with Tanda was stay in bed five hours, even if I woke up mm. and that was hard. Yeah. That was hard at first. Um, but I yeah. began to see a difference. Yeah. Sort of like if you're starving yourself, um, if you start to eat, you'll probably feel better. What we came to call it was sleep anorexia. Mm-hmm. I was punishing myself with lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. And we won't go into all the psychological reasons yeah. that I might have done that. But it, it, was, it was a out of the depression and anxiety. Right. It was a form of self-harm. And, you know, for some people, they just can't sleep. Yeah. Whatever that means. Yeah. But we began to investigate what is this? And when I got it that I was doing it to myself, mm. then I could investigate, do I still want to do that? Is it serving me? Right. And well, no. Yeah. So 
it it was not an overnight no pun intended right. or maybe pun intended, i don't know right you know it was not an overnight oh now i need to sleep more i'll start sleeping there were 27 years of habit to break habituation yeah. But I learned to train myself. I now regularly sleep seven hours or more a night. Mm -hmm. And that's a success for me. That's a success for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you did some sleep hygiene work. And, yep. you know, go to bed and at then... the same time, you know, don't, don't. Um, I could read, there weren't very many screen, you know, I didn't have a lot of screen stuff, but we also now know part of quote sleep hygiene is no screens an hour before you go to bed right. and it makes a difference. Yeah. You know, and you can yeah. throw your little medical, it activates the adrenal cortex, which right. produces yeah. adrenaline, yeah. which keeps you awake, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. Um, but it is true folks. <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way. Um, so, but reading a book is fine. Yeah, you know, so so I I would read at night, and that would be very helpful. Um, getting comfortable sleeping in a dark room, um, having it be as quiet as possible. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of things. That, For many people, that, cold temperature, having it around sixty five degrees or less, yes. Yes. fresh air for, and cold temperatures can be. Yep commonly make a big difference for people's depth yeah. and quality of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. For me, yeah. that is a true statement. Yeah. Having the room very cool. Yeah. And, and having fresh air on my face yeah. is, is makes all the difference in how well I sleep. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to find your own. Yeah. You've got to find your own. Then we've started to investigate this thing called the amino acid protocol. And my journey to healing in that was taking it on like my life depended on it, mm. which, oh, by the way, our health is our life depending on it. And I don't care whether it's a journey toward healing your gut, whether it's a journey toward skin problems, whether it's urinary tract stuff, whatever our journey is, our life does depend on it. My life depended on it. Yeah. And taking it on like no kidding, doing the amino acid protocol requires enormous discipline um you were how I, often were you taking stuff every day three times four times a day and they have to be taken within a one hour time slot yeah it, it's got to be done I, I mean sure you can mess up once a week once in a while yeah. i mean you know yeah. not talking well, about and, and what i'll say is is it's not even so much that it has to be done like that you, you the results that you got were correlated to how Exactly. much integrity you brought to it you know the, the, good the, way to put the way that you did take it on like your life depended on it and the rigor and the discipline quite frankly i remember yeah. didn't you have like a pillbox <laughs> container that was like i've yeah. never seen a pillbox container like that before you know it was like yeah. three-dimensional 30 days well it was a square oh yeah it was 30 days with four a day and it was only yeah. for the amino acid protocol not for any other supplements. Well, because you were doing other remedies as well oh, so yeah. like the whole yeah. complete protocol you were maybe doing something what six nine times a day sometimes yeah yeah with with different kinds of you know unda drops and supplements yeah. i'm and just peppering this in for some of my clients who are listening love you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they're like i don't like taking something twice a day i'm like i'm being nice i promise actually like but yeah. that sometimes because oh. you know yeah. without getting into because the, the point of this isn't so much to like promote a protocol 
that's actually individual and it depends on each person and and what they need. And, you know, so that while I am committed to providing resources inside of this format of the healing podcast, you know, my intention really is more about getting to this essence of what those, those, the less encountered conversations around healing, what, what the hard parts were, where you were challenged, also where you got your own transformational or however you would put it benefit that you never expected that was going to come out of all of this. Right. right? And there is this commitment to when we're healing our physical body, if an organ system's not doing something properly, we have to take an action in our life that then does what that organ system would have been doing. So your body wasn't producing the neurotransmitters on a routine basis. You had to take supplements on a routine basis to do what your body couldn't do until it could do it again. Right. And so that four times a day protocol has a lot to do with timing that out to support where your gut, because we know 85% of your neurotransmitters are made in your GI tract. So there was probably Mm -hmm. a big relationship there and other organ systems that were involved. So like that's where some of that comes from it's it's really not just to torture people i promise <laughs> yeah yeah and the but. and the transformation was as i went into that and it's applied what i learned from it well the transformation was being becoming curious mm. that was actually the early transformation of they said it couldn't be done yeah you know yeah and um and I will say, for those of you listening, Morley Safer's book, who wrote a book about coming, finding his way through depression and getting yeah. on the other side of it and never having to deal with it again, was, was eye-opening for me. Really? And that was yeah. way back in the... Right. And that's, that was in the that's why we're here, is when you hear somebody else's story that makes something... It's like the four-minute mile, right? Everyone yeah. said a human being can't run a four-minute mile until somebody did it. And I, right. I'm going to misquote the statistic, but something like at least a hundred people did it the year later because yeah, now, a lot now somebody knew it was sure. possible. Yeah. It's yeah, like, that's really why we're even doing this is I want to put out there more and more possibility for people to just be curious and even question, could I, and what else could yeah. I do and how could I heal more? Yeah. So the, so the big thing that happened that changed for me from feeling stuck in it, you know, once I wasn't being plagued with the yep. gray cloud over my head 24 seven. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it was a thin veil and then lots of times it didn't exist at all, which right. was really, Oh my God was getting curious about, well, what would it take to heal my body so that it can find its own stability? Mm. And one of the questions for me is, what does its own stability even mean? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know anymore. I didn't know. I'd lost touch. So it, it became, I got curious. So I got curious about this protocol, which for me worked. Yeah. Uh, it took two right. and a half years. And I finally, I have not taken a medication since. Yeah. Um, and just to revisit was 100% with the support of my yeah. therapist, of my, yeah. of my right. psychiatrist. Well, and I know so. you just said it, but it's, I want to go back and highlight. <laughs> we can hear for two and a half years and be like, wow, that's so great. But like when I have someone coming into my practice at the front end, it's jarring 
to be told by your practitioner, you're going to have to spend two and a half years doing this thing. Like right. that's not the world we live in. The world we live in is right. 30 day detox. Yeah. Six weeks to balance this. Test it right. out for four weeks. You'll know if it works, right? I, I get that question a lot where people say, yeah. well, how long do I need to do this to know if it's working? You know, and yeah. not, and now, so what was that for you? Like, you must have been seeing results along the way. I did very early on. The, the wonderful thing about this particular protocol for me. Yeah. And I did get supported with some dietary changes, getting outdoors more, um, drinking lots of water, which yeah. actually supports brain function. Yep. Um, there were a lot of things that I was able to do. Um, but I actually did see results. Yeah. Um, in in a fairly short time, but we didn't even try to reduce my my um, pharmaceutical medications for the whole first year. We didn't even take them down mm. a tiny bit yeah. for the whole first year. We just waited for some healing to start to happen. Yep. And so it was. It is a long process. I looked at it like, well, it took me a really long time to get this nutty. Yeah. So if I want to get unnutty, unnutty. physically, yeah. you know, yeah. the physical part, right. um, it doesn't matter about the causes and conditions, you know, whatever triggered me in my youth, in my life, you know, yeah. I mean, they matter, but, but it ultimately created a set of organic conditions that had me out of balance all the time. Right. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm by no means want to pry into anything, but I do think that it would make a difference for people, you know, and there's lots of, there's people that end up with diagnoses of depression and anxiety where there weren't a lot of life circumstances coming in. Right. But would you be willing to speak even just generally to some of the stuff you dealt with that may have been the instigating factors of this? Well, there was certainly, you know, my, my home life. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had, I had a Jekyll and Hyde home life. Mm. Um, my father was a difficult man to live with mm -hmm. um, and he could be, he was unpredictable at best mm -hmm. and could be predictably cruel at worst. Um, I can say that out of that evolved a sense of, helplessness in my world in mm. general and that I had no control yeah. over anything. Yeah. You know, except I, I used school as my refuge. Mm. That was my safe place. Um, so, so my home life was, was conflicted. My mother was unconditionally loving. Mm which at some level made me a little crazier because I had this amazingly compassionate, loving mother. And I had what I now know was a very sick father. Yeah. You know, I, I know that now. Um, he was gone a lot mm -hmm. because of his career. Yeah. He was gone a lot. And so when he was gone, everything was really great. Yeah. So, up she went, everything was level and lovely. Yeah. And then he'd come home and, you know, I'd hide. Yeah. And I think that contributes to this sort of 
instability that my body began to both physically and mentally right that's what i mean but physically yeah because with the shutdown comes you know i would quit eating Mm -hmm. you know for me some people were emotional you know emotional eaters as kids for me i was an emotional nut eater as a kid you know when i wasn't happy i quit eating um not anorexia bulimia not that but yeah. i just i would not eat yeah. I just eat. it's yeah. like my digestion quit working mm. you know food was like oh you got to be kidding me well and that's interesting because you know in chinese medicine and some of the other art forms that correlate a lot about our physical health and our emotional states of mind you know the gut is all about boundaries and it's one of yeah. the first boundaries we form as a kid you know when we're three or four mm. years old our gut essentially completely closes into its full integrity. We don't have the natural leaky gut that we have when mm-hmm. we're a baby. And it's it's one of the places where kids originally can exert their dominance is with That's that. That's interesting. And then there's yeah. also physically, you know, when there's a gut feeling about something or I feel uneasy in my stomach. And I mean, there's uh-huh, all of uh-huh. those, it's not an accident that we have that. So it's interesting that's that true. you said it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's mm-hmm. really a good, good exploration. I'm going to do a little more with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my early years were, were like I said, was sort of a Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Um, and, and they, it continued to be right. contentious at, at best. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I don't want to say too much because I've done an enormous amount of healing around my relationship with right. my father. He's no longer living. Um, sadly, quite frankly, because yeah. there are things I could say to him that now. I would never have been able to say to him, yeah. but I say them anyway. Yeah. Um, but he, he, that, there was a, there was a difficult, there was, there were difficulties mm-hmm. and, and they helped me form my opinion of how the world was. Right. You know, I made up my mind, if you will, about if how it's things safe, were. Not safe yeah. and predictable yeah. or inconsistent. And, so, or... and because he was so unpredictable, my occurring was the world is not a safe place for me. Yeah. You know, so right. not sleeping is like always looking over my shoulder. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there, there's, you know, that there's that kind of thing. Yeah. So there were certainly what we might call environmental factors. Yeah. It wasn't like I just made this stuff up. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just, I didn't just make it up. There yeah. was certainly, you know, there was powerful environmental factors. And then given the belief system I created about my world, guess what? I went out there and created a world that fulfilled on my belief system. I had boyfriends that were harmful. I had dysfunctional relationships for a long time. Um, yeah, and so on and so forth. Right. You know, I the perpetuated the mythology. Exactly. Yeah. I perpetuated and then we build evidence for it. Yeah. Because now we get yeah. to look and say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See, that's how it is. I knew yeah. it. So and, I want to kind of come all the way through the yeah. rabbit hole now to the other side entirely. So you're medication free. And I recall you sharing something with me about what it was like when you started, quite frankly, feeling again and how yeah. it was a little unnerving. It was like, these emotions happening and, and then questioning. Cause I think for a lot of people, you know, it's like, is this evidence that I really do need to be on that medication or what? And I, I want you to say in your work, your own words, but I have a memory of your discovery through that time period of sorting through feeling again. 
Yeah. When, when, when we began to, this happened during the period and then the year or two after when we began to reduce the pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, and, and we were very careful with that. I keep saying that. <laughs> yeah. Um, when we reduced the pharmaceuticals and the leveling went away mm-hmm. because they're great levelers. They're very effective. Yeah. Very effective. Um, and they're a good thing to get your work done. That's but also they, for some people. Cause there's other people some, that it's, other, it's, no, it's cause there's good. lots of different, they're very effective if what's happening is you actually have the serotonin imbalance or you actually have the, yes. because that's what they're working on. And then there's other people where that's not the root of it and they'll go on medications yeah. and then they just end up numb and it's not effective. It right. depends. I get right? that. But, I, but for you, you they that. totally work. And I get I'm that. It was the right that. thing. Yeah. So, the, so now you're um, feeling. <laughs> so now I'm feeling again. Yeah. And I got as scared about feeling happy and good wow. as I did about now there would be some sadness or a low point. They were both scary to me because they didn't trust either one of those could have spiraled out of control mm. be in the before. Yeah. And I didn't trust that it was okay for a while. Mm. And... But then there was another part of me that said, well, this is nice. I mean, you know, I hadn't cried in a Hallmark commercial in years. <laughs> you know, the classic right. Hallmark commercials make you cry at Christmas time. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like, oh, well, that's cute. That's mm-hmm. nice. Well mm-hmm. done. Yeah. And, you know, then things like Hallmark commercials started making me a little teary. And it was like, it was scary at first. Yeah. Because they didn't trust. Um. I had was very fortunate at that time to have the support of some amazing friendships mm. um, and my own spiritual life was supportive to me that was that's not important to everybody it's not a factor for lots of people it's a huge factor for me and um, and my family became supportive mm-hmm. as I let them in enough so mm-hmm. that they could eat. See, I didn't let my family in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't allow anybody. You know, I, I would, did my damnedest to cover it up when everybody was at home yeah. and look as normal as I could. I know there were a few years in there where <laughs> I wasn't hiding it from anybody but me. Um, but you know, that was my MO was to yeah. cover it up. And that didn't work too well. But when I started to have feelings again, joyful feelings, sad feelings, anger was probably the single most verboten feeling. Anger was not allowed when I was a child. I mean, it was, it was punished. Mm-hmm. Anger was not allowed, wasn't allowed to be expressed in any way. And when I began to feel anger, it terrified me. Yeah. Because you know, my go-to was, oh my God, I'm a bad person or yeah. I'll get punished for it. Yeah. Um, yeah it's not so true anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was, that was sort of, that was a big part of the healing phase was learning. And I think 
And I think it applies to other physical things. You know, for me in the emotional healing, it was learning that these really are the kinds of emotions that human beings have. Yeah. And, and they, it can actually be fun. Right. It can actually be fun to be sad. Huh. Well, there's know, a breakthrough it, statement. Yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, you know, there's like this, I mean, I'm going to share something pretty personal. I was at a, 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 a retreat. It was, it was a, a retreat for, it was a, um, um, uh, what would you call it? A therapy retreat. Okay. It was a five day therapy retreat. And at one point, man, I had gone to the pits. Hmm. I was crying and weeping and, I was just like, I was in the, the deep, dark forest. And a bunch of people were, had come around me. We were very supportive of each other. A bunch of people had come around and had their hands on my back and all of that. And at one point, I brought my head up from the pit and I said to everybody there, I suppose you're all wondering why I called you here. <laughs> right back down <laughs> like what it showed me yeah that was yeah a com that was a breakthrough for me yeah this is not and please people don't hear this as diminishing anything yeah. this is not real it's what i'm making it up to be mm. and and it feels so real it yeah. occurs as real and it and we play it out as real. Mm -hmm. But the what I began to see as part of my healing journey is I get to do with these emotions whatever I want. Mm. I have choice around this. Yeah. They're really not shackles. Mm. And God knows for 27 years it felt like it. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I would have argued what I'm just saying vehemently yeah. and I know there are people who will listen to this who will say well that's fine for you yeah and I get it with the deepest compassion yeah I get it I totally get that you know to get all the way through this and to actually recognize the naturalness of despair and that yeah. it actually is just a part of life and like I mean we have a culture and a mythology I'm going to call it right now that is addicted to a disbelief that human beings are designed to be happy all the time. Right. What if we're designed to be all the things? Right. Freely, to be able to yeah. freely move from one emotional expression to another. And, yeah. you know, this is going to be fodder for future conversations. Yeah. But I assert that one of the things that's happening in our humanity right now is we've had upwards of a 400, maybe even longer year love affair and infatuation with the mind. And the mind yeah. and the mind. And it's been brilliant. Amazing work has come out of it. Yes. But if you look at how smart we are about education, learning, the mind, even what the new budding world of neuroscience, we're idiots when it comes to emotions. We are. I mean, just we as think, a general, like, I mean, I barely am and I do time. this. Yeah. And so like yeah. emotional intelligence and discovering the, the power of our emotions, how they serve us, how they protect us, how... They bring knowledge and wisdom in how they guide us through our lives. Like, I mean, those are all concepts I had to 
work through for myself yeah. and still do. And there's plenty of times where I'm in the middle of despair. I'm not, I'm not in love with that. I'm not going to be no. like, oh, this is so great. <laughs> oh, <I need> more. <laughs> yeah, like no way. And my quality of life, and this is getting shared as a theme throughout these conversations, my quality of life has gone up so dramatically. The more I'm willing to allow and honor the wisdom of the sadness, of the despair, of the frustration, yeah. of the anger, the more access I get to experiences of joy that I, for me, you know, I mean, we could do a whole nother one on my journey through anxiety and depression. It wasn't yeah. on the continuum. It wasn't to the extreme yours was, but I also had moments of anxiety as a natural emotion. Right. You know, yeah. and when there's yeah. deep loss in my life, I have occasionally felt depressed, like I've lost my way in the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, this is yeah. definitely going to be a seed planted, but in one of my favorite authors, Carla McLaren, McKenna, mm. I hope I said that right. We'll correct it. Um, she wrote a book called The Language of Emotions. Yeah. And one it's of brilliant. the whole chapters is on depression. And she talks about depression as the stop sign of the soul that literally when we're not on our path, stops us dead to get us to reorient yeah. ourselves back onto our true path. And like you talked about earlier today, that authentic connection with yourself yeah, and being able to tell yeah. the truth about that and be able to connect to all of that and not be hiding from things or pretending things anymore. Yeah. How much that was important. And I think that that's one of the, in a weird way, I'm going to say the gifts that come particularly with depression Yeah, and, and just to round it out, what she says about anxiety always fascinated me that anxiety is undefined fear. Yeah. It's like when we're Absolutely. not even willing to look at what we're afraid of, we just we're just afraid. And yeah. that one of the in the moment tools I've used with my clients around anxiety is to actually ask, what are you afraid of? And then what would happen? And then what would happen? And then right. not as like to kitchen sink into oh my God, everything's going terribly, but when you can actually define and specifically say what you're afraid of, it shifts and the emotion starts to move. Yeah. yeah. And you and you get to ask yourself when you do that inquiry. And is it real? Right. You know, what am I afraid of? Huh? Mm -hmm. Well, hmm. yeah. Is yeah. that real? Do I yeah. need to be afraid? You know, yeah. It is one of the greatest gifts that a friend gave me in this journey. Um, and I was speaking with her and I was in, you know, I'd had like my seventh anxiety attack in the day. Mm. Cause there was, there were times when, when eight or 10 anxiety attacks a day was normal. Wow. Um, and she just, she just said, for, you know, she got in my face. She said, stop. Hmm. Not like making me wrong or bad, but just stop. I want you to ask yourself. I want you to look around and open your eyes and ask yourself, are you safe right now? Hmm. And I was in my living room, sitting in a chair. There was nobody there. And I, much as I didn't want to, I had to answer yes. But that was a gift that she gave me. Yeah. Which is sort of the, the ending of the inquiry you're talking about. What am I afraid of? What am I afraid yeah. of? What am I afraid of? And then what would happen? And then you get to say, oh, and am I safe right now? Yeah. yeah. And, and 
that, that got me through some very difficult days. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that part of what my healing journey, whether it's been physical issues, I've got gut issues that drive us all crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, but it's been a willingness to be curious about what's going on. Mm. And, and then, and then ask for help, ask for assistance. And for me, that's you as a pre- my practitioner. It's other practitioners that share the journey of health as an inquiry. Yeah. Um, I'll tell all you folks out there, my practitioners, I don't take what they hand me. I have a consultation with them. I don't care yeah. if it's my eye doctor, if it's a gastroenterologist, if it's a foot doctor. We, I interview them first and ask them about their philosophy on healing yeah. and this journey. And if I don't like what I hear, I don't go back. Yeah. And that's gutsy because we yeah. don't do that in our culture. We don't have it that we get to. I mean, if you hired an employee, you would interview them and make sure yeah. that they were the right, you know, but we don't. If I hired have a carpenter same... to come and work in my house. Right. Yeah. Fix your sink. Your plumber. Guys. Totally. Three or four guys. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And then I always say finding a doctor is like dating. (laughs) You should have good (laughs) chemistry and good communication. Absolutely. You know, and that, that you're building a relationship and that's not often, you know, there's a whole conversation about a field that could potentially exist of practitioners that are patient advocates, which I think is awesome. It has its place. But then I'm also like, couldn't we just have relationships with our practitioners and then we don't have to advocate for anything? And and I know that what I'm saying is gutsy and not what's done out there. You call up your, your heart people and they say, Oh, well, we're going to give you Dr. So-and-so. And and I say, great. Schedule me for a consultation. Yeah. Not, not an exam. Right. Schedule me for a consultation. I'm going to have a conversation with this person. Yeah. And I go to practices where there are some doctors I will see in that practice and there are other doctors I will not see. Yeah. And, and I'm okay with that. Right. I, mean, I get that's not what's done. I have an awesome team of healthcare yeah. professionals in my life. Yeah. So I encourage, I, yeah. I, I really support people. In right. That. Yeah. In all areas. Totally. It's probably a whole other podcast. Oh, we got lots. We got lots of things. This is, this is going to, I knew, you know, I wanted it like we, you were talking about being curious about your process. I knew that I wanted this to be an inquiry and in our, I know we both are this, the more questions you ask, you don't get answers. You get more questions, which is actually good to also say about what it takes to heal and the healing journey. Oftentimes people think they're trying to get down to something and it's often more like, opening, 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 opening. But again, there is symptom resolution. I mean, that does happen. You literally do feel there, you know, you're handling things there, but then there's also this like bigger and bigger and bigger questions start to open up the more we investigate. Yeah. Yeah. The more you heal, sorry, folks, the more you heal, the more there is to heal. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, well now maybe I could resolve. Uh Uh-huh this thing I deal with now yeah. that this worse thing is handled yeah. and, yeah. you know, and it's all about what is a joyful life and joyful. Mm-hmm. Isn't the Snoopy dance all the time. It's joyful. Life is one where you feel content and, and, and satisfied. Yeah. 
to me, at this point in my life, a joyful life is one where I feel satisfied most of the time. That's pure joy to me. Mm-hmm. That's bliss. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, I can't think of a better place to put a pin in it right there. Yeah. By no means is this a complete conversation, but thank you just so much for your authentic sharing, giving us your heart, sharing your life yeah. with us, all of that. Yeah. You bet. Totally. Always Can we tell them who you are? Sure. <laughs> this is my mom. This it's is pretty, my daughter. pretty amazing <laughs> to get to have this relationship and, you know, a whole nother podcast is us healing our mother-daughter relationship yeah. <laughs> to be here. Which heals your health. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I am one of your team members and we worked out what we need to yeah. do to be ethically responsible, you yeah. know, cause that's another area that's not done. No. These healthcare practitioners who work with their own family members. I was actually right. instructed in med school to not do that, but it was like, how could I possibly withhold this knowledge and gifts that I know of from the people I love the most? So we've just yeah. worked it out. Yeah. yeah. And it is ethically responsible. There's, yeah. You know, we, yeah. we're, we, we maintain high level of accountability for that. Yeah. And yeah. all my practitioners know right. that I work it's, with you, my daughter. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's not like you're a hidden secret. No. At all. So. Yeah. Awesome. But thanks. Thanks for thanks, inviting Mom. me in. <laughs> thanks, honey. Yep. <laughs> all right. All right. We're going to go from here. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks to today's guest, my mom, Catherine Fisk, for sharing her lifelong journey into self-love. You can learn more about finding your own healing by going to sarahmarshallnd.com or following me on Instagram at sarahmarshallnd. Special thanks to Roddy Nickpour, who composed our show music, and to our amazing editor, Kendra Vicken. Thanks for being here. Until next time.